right, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman, and today we have Benjamin Berg, Director of MES Counter Islamist Grid Project, joining us as well to moderate. We are pleased to have Mr. Anaf Kalam, a Counter Islamist Grid Associate for the Middle East Forum based out of Denver, here to discuss radical Islam at a mosque near you. Mr. Kalam will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Benjamin Baird and Mr. Anaf Kalam. Thank you, Stacy. As mentioned, my name is Benjamin Baird and I'm the director of the Counter Islamist Grid, a project of the Middle East Forum. I'm joined today by Anaf Kalam, our Counter Islamist Grid associate in the greater Denver, Colorado area really just one of a handful of cities in North America where CIG works to both monitor and expose Islamism at the local level, uh, a level which is really often ignored by uh, national media until it's too late. Uh, Anaf holds a BA in political science and international studies from the University of Colorado and his counter-Islamist efforts in Denver. He's done a great job there exposing the influence of uh, Islamism on university campuses and removing radical Islamist influences from Denver's countering violent extremism program. Welcome Anaf. Uh, diving right in. Denver has been a temporary home to some of the most charismatic and, in, and infamous Islamist clerics in world history, including Syed Qutb, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood ideologue who would eventually inspire jihadists such as Osama bin Laden. Qutb was said to learn to hate Americans during his brief sabbatical at the University of Northern Colorado. Hi Ben, we can't actually see you. Oh, you can't see me? <laughs> no, sorry about that. Perfect, all right. Uh, so sorry about that. Well, here I am. Uh, to continue, uh, Kutub was said to learn to hate Americans during his brief sabbatical at the University of Northern Colorado, which is located just 30 miles north of Denver. Uh, but I, I have to ask enough, who else or what other serious Islamist of note in Denver and the Denver area should our viewers be concerned about? Yeah, so I think the most prominent one that comes to mind would be Anwar al-Awlaki, who spent some time in Denver in the 90s as the Imam of the Denver Islamic Society. Um, while he was there, however, people who had visited his lectures and sermons, uh, I don't think they would have ever guessed that a guy like this would uh, be the Al-Qaeda recruiter that we know today. Um, it wasn't until later when he moved to Virginia, he became the Imam of the Dar al-Hijra Mosque, where he influenced three of the 9-11 hijackers who regularly attended that mosque. Uh, that's where he inspired the Fort Hood shooter, Nidal Hassan, and countless others. I see, so he eventually moved on to uh, turn to more violent rhetoric over time, which we can directly tie to uh, terrorist attacks. So I have to ask, uh, he was incredibly popular on social media, uh, even during the earlier days of the internet. Uh, how can an Islamist openly use hate speech on social media platforms 
and face next to zero repercussions for it. Uh, I mean, we've seen people with celebrities, for instance, deplatformed from uh, Twitter and, and Facebook for far less than calling for the violent establishment of an Islamic state, haven't we? Oh, certainly. Um, and I think it's because this has really largely uh, kind of gone under the radar, really no one paid attention to it for the longest time, thought it was really a, a worthwhile thing. But in the case of uh, Anwar al-Awlaki, it did eventually come back. Uh, in 2010, it was recommended that YouTube review some of his videos and the content that was in them. And uh, later, uh, they concluded that the content of those videos was ta uh, tantamount to, quote, uh, inciting cold-blooded murder. So they, they did end up removing all of his videos from his YouTube channel. I see. It sounds like it's perhaps a bit little too late. Uh, Al-Lauki uh, Al met his demise in 2011 in Yemen. Uh, at the business end of a Hellfire missile. However, his legacy lives on today on social media and law enforcement are discovering increasingly that the jihadists uh, were watching his videos prior to committing violent acts of terror. Uh, so with Aulaki gone, who is the up and, up and coming charismatic Islamist to encourage others to violent jihad uh, via sometimes nonviolent sermons? Yeah, so there is, uh, I guess the next up and coming star of that spotlight is a guy here in Denver called Imam Karim Abu Zaid. He's the Imam of the Colorado Muslims Community Center, uh, formerly was the Imam of the Colorado Muslim Society, the largest and most popular mosque here in Denver. And he has been ahead of the curve here on the online social media presence. Uh, he's a regular guest on Guide Us TV, which has a global audience. On his YouTube, he has uh, 33,000 subscribers, last I checked, uh, another 22,000 or so on his Facebook. And he, it, it doesn't take even the briefest search to find him saying things like a few weeks ago, coronavirus is a punishment for homosexuality. Uh, a few years before that, that fornicators should be flogged, adulterers should be stoned, that sort of thing. I see. So uh, he may prescribe some violent punishments, although he may not preach uh, openly violent jihad. This is not so different from uh, the sermons we heard from Aulaki, uh, or what was reportedly heard from Aulaki during his early days preaching the congregation in Denver. Um, but they do share ideologies, violent and lawful Islamists, anti-Westernism, anti-Semitism. Uh, these ideas both can quickly turn from nonviolent uh, to a violent context and can radicalize others to embrace jihadism. Uh, especially when you hear them talk about, for instance, Palestine uh, should be free from the river to the sea. Uh, do, you, do you agree with this? Is Abu Zayed a threat in this manner? Yeah, and you know, in, his, in his defense, sure, Abu Zayed, uh, he doesn't advocate for you know, violence or violent jihad. Uh, in fact, you can probably find many examples of him uh, publicly condemning terrorist attacks when they occur. 
but at the same time, it's the anti-Western uh, ideologies, it's the hardline puritanical Salafist strain of Islam that he adheres to and espouses. And those together really create a sort of religious paradigm where, yeah, violence and, and jihad are completely justified. They're completely acceptable. They might even be encouraged by some of these readings. And meanwhile, he, he's sitting here never having actually encouraged any of this. Sure, and it's also noteworthy that Aulaki also condemned many terrorist attacks uh, before turning to terrorism himself. Uh, on another front, we are increasingly seeing formerly hardline Salafist preachers embrace a form of progressivism, uh, including opening up to LGBT communities, uh, refusing to prescribe death to apostates or lashes to adulterers, and even being pro-choice. These clerics have become increasingly popular. Uh, they have very large social media audiences, not just with, in Salafist circles, but with mainstream Muslims and, and even non-Muslim supporters. Uh, in fact, some have opened up for Democratic presidential candidates. What do you think of this perceived moderation we're seeing from them? Will it last? And is there a purist counter movement to take on this Islamist progressivism? Yeah, the Islamist progressive movement is certainly gaining a lot of steam at this moment. Uh, you have uh, Yasser Qadi, who currently has uh, almost a million likes on his Facebook page. Uh, Omar Suleiman has one and a half million, last I checked. And uh, they belong to the Yaqeen Institute, a uh, much more non-sectarian, uh, progressive Muslim institute. Um, and yeah, like you said, they're much more welcoming, much more open to Western progressive ideals but they absolutely aren't without their challengers. Uh, there's a guy, he's called Daniel Hakikatju, and who ironically uses the moniker, the Muslim skeptic. And he thinks uh, that they shouldn't, uh, Muslims shouldn't embrace the more progressive route. He thinks it goes against uh, the more puritanical traditional Salafist strain of Islam that he's used to, that, that Abu Zayed is perhaps used to as well. Um, so he'll still argue that, yes, apostates should be killed, that homosexuals should be stoned, uh, adulterers lashed, all the like. Um, and just a few weeks ago in a debate with an ex-Muslim, he even uh, outwardly uh, uh, endorsed slavery. And he's got a, he's got a fairly large uh, online following as well that'll always come to his defense. I see. Well, thank you enough. Uh, looks like there's many interesting develops in the Islamist world uh, from Denver to throughout the rest of America. And uh, we'll be taking a look at these at the counter Islamist grid. We'll study, expose them and counter these threats wherever they appear, working with lawmakers, Silicon Valley and the public at large. Uh, to expose the, the dangers that these radicals pose. Uh, and with that, Stacy, we're ready for any questions. All right, thank you both so much. So the first question in is, who's financing these mosques? And do you think that they know that they're giving a platform to these radical ideas? Well, uh, this funding comes from all sorts of places. Um, in terms of the more radical mosques. Traditionally, we're used to seeing that money come from places like Saudi Arabia, 
although that's been overtaken more and more by Qatar, who has been leading that financial charge of, of, of creating Islamists uh, in mosques and institutions, uh, universities. Um, and then they are also, they're also very reliant on the zakat funds, their donations in a lot of these cases. That, that tends to be the case with the Colorado Muslim Society and the uh, Colorado Muslim Community Center. Thank you. Do you have That's enough? Right. In giving money to your mosque is compulsory. Uh, there's an unending flow uh, to these radical, these radical mosques that we're seeing. And uh, as Anup says, you know, yes, it's opened the door to foreign places as well. Uh, Qatar, Turkey also, uh, through its DNS center in America, has opened a number of mosques, and the leaders there answer directly to uh, Islamist leadership and Ankara. Wonderful, thank you. Do you have a, a rough number of how many Salafist mosques or centers there are in the U.S.? Um, in the United States, I I wouldn't know that number. Uh, it varies from city to city. In Denver, we're a little luckier than some other larger metropolitan cities that, that have dozens and dozens and here in Denver, it's uh, thankfully much lower, so it varies. I'm sure if you go to another rural state, maybe Montana, you'll you'll be pressed to even find two. Yeah, there's I mean there's thousands of Islamist institutions, whether those be uh, you know traditional masjids or whether those be civic action or community organizations. There are many many thousands, and part of what we do uh, at Islamist Watch is try to break them down by ideology to determine where these threats are and where they're located geographically. Thank you. Do you think that mainstream Muslims in the United States are generally tolerant of radical elements? Um, I think that kind of varies on a spectrum. Typically, mainstream Muslims will uh, for instance, they might be pretty, pretty moderate people with no extreme views of their own, save for maybe um, their position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, you know, some of the other things. There's, there's all sorts of elements of culture and tradition in some of these things too, but I think it really depends on what that what that radical, I guess, item in question would be. Uh, you can have a whole handful of mainstream moderate Muslims who are pro-LGBT, uh, pro, you know, uh, women's suffrage, and then they might think at the same time that the state of Israel needs to be dismantled. Yeah, there's definitely not a monolith per se. Uh, you know, the average mainstream Muslim, I think would reject the extremism we see uh, from Islamists, but there are instances, I believe, that Islamists have taken the lead, uh, politically especially, I think that Muslims are looking towards Islamist leaders for answers on who they should vote for, and they're following them in that direction. So while uh, they don't necessarily believe with them theologically, uh, they are supporting them uh, politically. Understood. 
Do the progressive Muslims you were speaking about earlier, do they hold anti-Israel, anti-Semitic beliefs, and are they sincere in embracing social progressive? Progressivism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um, well, that's a kind of tough one because one of the, uh, you know, staples of the modern progressive movement today is kind of morphed into, uh, it has a whole bit about Palestine. It, uh, to be progressive is to be pro-Palestine, to be, you know, quote unquote, anti-apartheid or what have you. And progressives don't exactly see Israel as being a liberal progressive place, the way that it's, it's portrayed in their understanding of it. Um, in my experience, progressive Muslims will take the line of uh, advocating for the, the oppressed underdog Muslim brothers in Palestine against what they believe to be the unjust oppressors in Israel. Um, so to be progressive, I would say, these days as a Muslim is to be anti-Israel, I'm sad to say. Yeah, I, I find that to be true as well. To answer the second uh, part of your question, are they genuinely progressive? In some cases, I think they are. I think when you see uh, an Ilhan Omar, I believe that she believes in uh, genuine liberal progressivism. Um, but there is others that aren't. There uh, is a state assemblyman in Virginia named Ibrahim Samira, who has openly said that, hey, you know, we need to form alliances uh, with our enemies for the time being while it suits us. So, uh, it's a marriage of convenience for the time being for some of these Islamists. Thank you. And I guess the main question here is, can you explain why Islamists are not banned from social media? And do you think it's a political correctness attempt or is it more freedom of speech? Well, uh, I think it's a, a freedom of speech thing, but, I'm, but I also think it's a highly politicized thing. Um, I, I was kind of alluding to this earlier, I might not have touched on it, but the Islamophobia, the term Islamophobia has been endlessly useful to these people. And you see, I see it all the time as well. Uh, critics of hardline Islamism, um, people who like to call out and expose radicals and extremists, they get called Islamophobes the most often. And so I don't know who's controlling this at Silicon Valley, at Twitter or wherever, but um, it seems that they're more apt to uh, respond to the charge of Islamophobia than actually take a look at, you know, what could be insightful to, incitement to violence or, or threats to terror or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's some of the referees that these uh, that these social media platforms are using, like the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, who will never give uh, people on the right a fair shake and who will always uh, give Islamists, uh, you know, a second chance. And that's why we see this disparity. And uh, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be changing. In fact, it seems to be getting worse, especially as we move towards Election Day. Thank you. So speaking of social media, we should probably talk about the younger generations. What is the trend of the younger non-immigrant Muslim generation regarding religious observance and assimil assimilation to American society? So this, oh, I uh, think you're enough answer this one. Yeah, this one, I, uh, 
I have personal experience in as uh, the thing you just described, a non-immigrant, younger, uh, former Muslim. I grew up in a Muslim household. Uh, most of my friends and circles around me in my community were also Muslims. But as we're getting older, uh, certainly getting more progressive, at least from what I see, um, all of my Muslim friends are pro-LGBT, uh, very, you know, involved in whatever progressive movement is going on at the current moment. I bet all of them would vote for Bernie Sanders tomorrow. Um, you do see some degree of uh, younger Muslims, non-immigrants, maybe first generation, who still, who are still devout Muslims. Um, I haven't seen that in my own experience to where these people are quite on the path to radicalism. And I think that's because they've kind of picked up some of these new progressive Muslim figureheads that are more palatable than say, Karim Abu Zaid. Uh, they like the one who's doing the BuzzFeed videos and not the Salafi videos. Well, that leads perfectly into the next question. Are there any Muslim mainline organizations that you do admire? And if so, are they speaking publicly against these Islamists? Um, yeah, there are a few uh, around the U.S., some of them in Great Britain and parts of Europe. Um, can't come up with their names off the top of my head. There's Dr. Zuthi Jasser's, uh, I think it's Americans for Freedom and Democracy. Um, even here at, a, you know, if I can give ourselves a little plug here, some of the, uh, my Muslim colleagues at Middle East Forum, or, you know, people who have grown up in Muslim backgrounds do very respectable work. Um, there is, and then the other ones actually tend to be, I, I used to have some affiliation with the ex-Muslims of North America. And they advocate for, um, you know, liberalism in Islam, a more progressive uh, interpretation of it. They sadly uh, don't get the same platforms as, as some of the more Islamist organizations do, largely because of claims of Islamophobia. Thank you. I think we have time for one last question. Uh, you were talking earlier about the social media platforms, but how do you interrupt either A, the power, B, communication, or C, the product? In other words, how can you govern or regulate calls for violence? Are you able to shift the balance of power? And what would be the best policy to allow for effective law enforcement to reduce or neutralize criminal behavior associated with the rhetoric? I, I personally think that it needs to be the yelling fire in a movie theater. If it's a public threat, if it represents a public threat, uh, it needs to be prosecuted and treated as such. Um, and we need to very clearly define what that means uh, when we're talking about Islamism, uh, because calls for theocracy uh, can be violent and they can be nonviolent. And so we need to very clearly uh, establish that. And, uh, you know, we need to adopt a single definition for anti-Semitism uh, so that these cannot be dismissed as anti-Zionism. Uh, it's a slippery slope though, however, because, uh, you know, once you start legislating hate speech too closely, 
then you know it could take away our ability to uh, criticize Islamism. And at the present moment, we are losing that battle. Uh, they are able to make, they are able to use anti-Semitic rhetoric far more loosely than we are able to criticize Islamism, not Islam, but Islamism. And I make that distinction because it's very important. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of lawmakers in this country could learn uh, that simply making that distinction uh, would save them a lot of grief from their constituents uh, when they criticize Muslims or Islam as a whole. All right. Well, if you guys could just give us a little more information on where to find uh, some more readings or writings from what the Counter Islamist Grid is doing, that would be appreciated. Certainly. So the Counter Islamist Grid has moved over to islamistwatch.org. That's I-S-L-A-M-I-S-T hyphen watch.org. Uh, you can find all of our CIG writings there, along with uh, the great number of Islamist Watch articles that we've been working on uh, via our numerous projects there, including our new Islamism and politics project. Um, you can uh, reach me at any time at uh, director at counterislamist.org. And you can reach Mr. Kalam at K-L-A-M at M-E-Forum.org. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us again. We've come to the close of our webinar. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Mr. Ashley Perry's Israel Insider Weekly Update. On Friday, we will be having Dr. Mark Dury joining us at 5 p.m. Eastern. Please note the time change. Uh, he will be coming to us from Australia. And thank you all again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.